it's Friday the 2nd of February and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Hwang j a n g w o North Korea has fired multiple cruise missiles into the Yellow Sea, the fourth such launch within 10 days. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. Coming up on Weekly Economy Review, we discuss the US Fed's decision to keep the key rate steady and the latest pledge by the Yun administration to address the so-called Korea discount phenomena afflicting local stocks. And then on Movie Spotlight, we review a semi-spin-off to Concrete Utopia called Badland Hunters and a comedy drama citizen of a kind based on real events. We have all that and more on today's Career 24. South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff said North Korea fired several cruise missiles off the west coast on Friday. It's the latest in a series of the North's cruise missile launches this year. For more on this story and other headlines from today, I'm joined in the studio by KBS World Radio News Editor Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. Hello there, j a n g o Let's start with the details of the findings so far by the South Korean military regarding this latest provocation. What do we know? Well, the JCS detected launch at around 11 a.m. from the nation's west coast. Officials did not have details on the missiles, including the number of missiles. However, North State Media announced the first two rounds involved the new Purasa 331 strategic cruise missile, and the third round featured the previously known Hwasal 2 model. Hwasal means an arrow in Korean, and Purasal means fire arrow. The cruise missiles are powered by jet engines, fly low, and maneuver in a way that it makes it difficult to detect and intercept. North Korea has been improving capabilities of ballistic missiles with varying range. warheads and launch platforms possibly to have a tactical advantage over Korea's air defense system here in South Korea. In a text sent to reporters, the JCS said it's strengthening monitoring and vigilance while closely coordinating with Washington to monitor additional signs of provocations. The latest launch come just three days after the North fired the Hwasar-2 cruise missile off the West Coast. Pyongyang had previously conducted three rounds of cruise missile firings last Wednesday, Sunday and this Tuesday. Yes, we'll see what more details North Korea reveal in their state media about the latest cruise missile launches over the next day or so. Meanwhile, the nominee for the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command Chief has told the U.S. Senate that there are, quote-unquote, significant strategic and military risks of a potential conflict on the Korean Peninsula. And he also said that U.S. extended deterrence is essential. Can you share with us what Admiral Samuel Paparo had to say? Yes, during Thursday's confirmation hearing, the nominee discussed the changing dynamic of the Korean Peninsula. Admiral Paparo reaffirmed that U.S. extended deterrence is absolutely essential for the region. Here's what he had to say. The Republic of Korea is the linchpin of peace, stability, security in the Pacific. We seek a denuclearized Korean peninsula. Whatever the public statements, uh, as, as a military commander, I must look at the capability development and to be able to pace that, to deter that. Extended deterrence, particularly with U.S. strategic forces, is absolutely essential. So last month, North Korea announced it will no longer strive for a peaceful reunification and has since sought to demonstrate diversified nuclear capabilities, launching cruise missiles and underwater drones. Some fear North Korea could engage in localized provocations near the border and interfere in the April elections in South Korea. The four-star admiral said in his written response to the Senate, there are significant strategic and military risks of a potential conflict on the Korean peninsula. He also expressed concerns over military collaboration between the regime and Russia, calling it symbiotic. 
Papara highlighted the need to improve current intel surveillance and recon to help solve what he called the multifaceted problem set. In related news, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un reportedly inspected a shipyard in Nampo where he underscored the importance of a strong naval force in war preparations. He did that, and according to the KCNA on Friday, Kim stressed the importance of strengthening the naval force, saying it's a key aspect of advancing war preparations. Kim received detailed report on progress in warship construction and the preparations for a new project mandated by the 8th Congress of the Workers' Party. He also issued instructions to ensure timely completion of the planned vessels within five years, calling Nampo Shipyard the most reliable large-scale military shipbuilding facility. Kim believes it will build pivotal warships to align with the party's strategic plans. Let's turn to some other headlines now. President Yoon Sung-yeol is reportedly considering granting a special pardon to former presidential national security advisor Kim Gwang. Kim Kwan Jin, ahead of the Lunar New Year holiday next week. Can you give us more details? That's right. The top office said this year's list of presidential pardons are not finalized, but did not refute the media reports about Kim's pardon. The former national security chief for former President Park Geun-hye was sentenced to two years in prison last year on charges of instructing the military cyber command to post, post online comments favorable for the ruling camp ahead of the general and presidential elections back in 2012. Kim last month opted to withdraw his decision to appeal, making the high court's two-year prison sentence final. President Yoon appointed Kim pending trial as vice chairman of the Presidential National Defense Innovation Committee. The final decision on special pardons is made by the president after deliberation by the Ministry of Justice's Pardon Review Committee and the State Council. Meanwhile, President Yoon sung yeols approval rating has fallen below 30% for the first time in nine months. It did. A Gallup Korea survey of 1,000 adults between Tuesday and Thursday shows 29% positively assessed President's handling of state affairs, down two percentage points from a week earlier. The disapproval rating remained unchanged at 63%. The first time approval ratings has fallen below the 30% mark since the second week of April last year, when it stood at 27%. Ayun's lowest rating was 24%, which was recorded in the first week of August 2022, when he assumed office. 19% of those who disapprove, according to the recent survey, cited concerns about the economy, prices, and people's livelihoods. 11% perceived a lack of communication. Other contributing factors included unilateral decision-making, diplomatic concerns, and allegations surrounding First Lady Kim go hee The survey had a confidence level of 95% with a margin of error of plus or minus 3.1 percentage points. Let's shift gears now to the economy. Inflation rate slowed to the 2% range for the first time in six months in January. Can you break down the figures for us? Sure thing. According to Statistics Korea on Friday, consumer price index stood at 113.15 in January, up 2.8% on year. Inflation rate fell below the 3% for the first time since July when it marked 2.4%. The rate then rose to 3.8% in August and further to 3.8% in October before slowing to 33 percent in November and 3.2 in December. Core inflation, which excludes volatile food and oil prices, rose 2.6 percent in January. Prices of agricultural, livestock, and fishery products rose 8 percent on year in January. And prices of petroleum products dropped 5 percent on year. 
Meanwhile, the government has decided to inject 10 billion won into a major discount campaign for agricultural, livestock, and fisheries products in an effort to stabilize prices ahead of the Lunar New Year holiday. Yes, Finance Minister Che Sang Mok announced a decision on Friday during an emergency economy meeting. The government will allocate additional 10 billion won budget for a discount program to stabilize the escalating prices of apples and pears. He also pledged preemptive measures to prepare for future instability in these fruit items. Statistics Korea showed consumer prices of agricultural, livestock and fisheries products rose 8% in January, with the prices of apples and pears soaring 56.8% and 41.2% respectively. And finally, the South Korean men's national football team, who suffered a crushing defeat against Australia in the final match of the AFC Asian Cup nine years ago, will be seeking redemption on Saturday. Can you tell us more? Right. Revenge, redemption, rematch, something that we look forward to. The Taeguk Warriors, led by head coach Jurgen Klinsmann, is set to face the Socceroos in the quarterfinals of the 2023 AFC Asian Cup at Qatar's Al Janoub Stadium. Kickoff is at 12.30 a.m. Korea time on Saturday. Korea finished second in Group E. The latest match was a, uh, a chance to defeat Saudi Arabia 4-2 in a penalty shootout. Australia advanced to the quarterfinal stage, breezed through it after topping Group B and defeating even Indonesia, which is coached by South Korean head coach Shin Tae-yong with a 4-0 annihilation in the round of 16. That's where we're going to wrap it up for our news briefing today. Daniel, thank you for those stories. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index climbed 72.85 points, or 2.87% on Friday, to close at 2,615.31. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also rose, gaining 16.04 points, or 2.01%, to close at 814.77. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 9.21 against the US dollar, Closing the day at 1,322.61. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We've come now to Global News Roundup, our daily segment where we look beyond Korea to cover some major stories from around the world. And joining me in the studio now for that is our KBS World Radio news editor, Koo Hee-jin. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, jang We begin, as we've done all week, with the ongoing conflicts in the Middle East. On Monday, we talked about a drone attack on a U.S. base in Jordan that killed three and wounded some 40 U.S. soldiers a day earlier. Now, plans have been approved for a series of strikes over a number of days against targets, including Iranian personnel and facilities inside Iraq and Syria. So what can you tell us? Well, CBS News reported in an exclusive, citing unidentified officials, saying that the strikes will come in response to the drone and rocket attacks targeting U.S. forces in the region, including the Sunday attack. Uh, The U.S. blamed an Iranian-backed militia group for that attack uh, on Tower 22 inside Jordan near the Syrian border. That group, the Islamic resistance in Iraq, is believed to contain multiple militias that have been armed, funded and trained by Iran's Revolutionary Guards Force. The group said uh, it was responsible for Sunday's strike. Whether will be a major factor in the timing of the strikes, uh, the uh, U.S. officials told CBS, as the U.S. has the capability to carry out strikes in bad weather, but 
prefers to have better visibility of selected targets as a safeguard against inadvertently hitting civilians who might stray into the area at the last moment. U.S. officials have said that U.S. intelligence believes that the drone used to attack the facility was manufactured by Iran and is similar to drones Iran has been sending to Russia for its invasion of Ukraine. We should note that Iran has repeatedly denied any role in the attack on the U.S. base. It's also warned that any strike on Iranian territory or personnel would escalate tension in the tumultuous region and put more U.S. forces at risk. Indeed. And the denials and warnings notwithstanding, a number of Iran-backed groups in the Middle East have been increasing their attacks on U.S. and Israel-linked entities amid Israel's war with Hamas. The Palestinian militant group, uh, which has controlled Gaza for years sparked the war with its October 7th terror attack on uh, Israel, which uh, Israel of, uh, officials say killed some 1,200 people. And speaking at uh, Pentagon Thursday, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin told reporters that the US won't tolerate attacks on American troops. There have been no new attacks on US troop locations in the region since the Iran-backed militia Kataib Hezbollah announced Wednesday that it was suspending military operations against American forces. There was no indication from U.S. officials that the group's declared suspension was delaying the American military's retaliatory strikes. Secretary Austin reacted to the group's statement during Thursday's news conference, saying, we will always listen to what people are saying, but we watch what they do and actions are everything. So we'll see what happens in the future. President Joe Biden has been under mounting pressure from Republican uh, lawmakers, including some of Washington's most hawkish voices on Iran to strike targets on Iranian soil. At the same time, his administration has been trying to avoid a wider war in the region. Okay, well, from the Middle East, we now turn to the war between Russia and Ukraine for our next story. The European Union agreed a funding deal worth more than 50 billion US dollars for Ukraine in a crucial summit on Thursday that comes at a pivotal moment in the war. Can you give us more details? Well, the funds have been blocked since December after Hungary's Prime Minister Viktor Orban had uh, vetoed the deal at a previous summit. Failure to have reached an agreement would have been a major blow to Ukraine at a time when it is uh, outmanned and outgunned forces are uh, struggling on the battlefield amid a new renewed uh, Russian assault. Meanwhile, military aid from the US has dried up amid an ongoing battle in Washington over the future of funding for Kyiv. An official text published by the EU Council said the 27 member states have approved 50 billion euros or around 54 billion US dollars to be sent to Ukraine from 2024 to 2027. The text makes multiple mentions of the money being used as part of the Ukraine's path to joining the bloc. Yes, Orban had previously held up the deal on the grounds that he did not want the funds to come from the EU budget, meaning funds would be taken from EU member states and then sent to Ukraine. Yes, and Orban's critics accused him of blocking the deal because the EU is currently withholding funds for Hungary uh, due to it breaching rule of law requirements. Orban and uh, members of his government have repeatedly denied that there are any connections between the two or that they have breached EU rules rules. A senior European diplomat told CNN that the deal as outlined by EU Council President uh, 
Charles Michel does not unlock EU funds for Hungary, though the summit will continue throughout Thursday. European officials had feared that Orban would uh, continue blocking the deal, not only because of the money to Hungary being frozen by Brussels, but also because his unusually close relationship with uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin. Yes, and we'll see how the decision weighs on Congress when it deliberates on a possible approval after the last package was defeated in the Senate in December in the US. Mm-hmm. And finally, Joshua Schultz, a former CIA officer and hacker, has been sentenced to 40 years in prison for what the government described as the biggest theft of classified information in CIA history and for possession of child sexual abuse images and videos. Can you tell us more? Well, according to APBBC and other major news services, Judge Jesse M. Furman of the Manhattan Federal Court said the bulk of the sentence involved the public release of a slew of CIA secrets by WikiLeaks in 2017. He had been jailed since 2018. Uh, the so-called Vault 7 leak revealed how the CIA hacked Apple and Android smartphones in overseas spying oppos- operations and efforts to turn internet-connected televisions into listening devices. Prior to his arrest, Schultz had helped create the hacking tools as a coder at the agency's headquarters in Langley, Virginia. Uh, Prosecutors said the leak is one of the most brazen and the most damaging disclosures of classified information in American history. The 35-year-old Schultz shared some 8,761 documents to WikiLeaks, according to the Justice Department. Thursday's sentence was for charges of espionage, computer hacking, contempt of court, making false statements to the FBI and possession of child abuse images. He denied the allegations but was convicted on the various accounts at three separate federal courts in New York in 2020, 2022 and 2023. That'll be all for our Global News Roundup today. Hijin, thank you for bringing us those updates. Thank you. Hi, I'm Casey Kelly, pitcher for the LG Twins. You're now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. U.S. Federal Reserve kept its key interest rate unchanged for the fourth consecutive time on Wednesday, which was widely expected. Following a two-day meeting of the Federal Open Market Committee, the Fed said in a statement that it decided to maintain the target range for the federal funds rate at 525 to 5.5%. But while the Fed said rate cuts will begin at an appropriate time, no specific timeline was given. For this week's weekly economy review, we'll delve into the U.S. Central Bank's rate decision and we'll also discuss the South Korean government's latest commitment in resolving the Korea discount, a phenomenon referring to the perceived undervaluation of South Korean stocks. Joining us on the line now is Daniel Yu, Head of Global Asset Allocation at Uanta Securities. Mr. Yu, hello and welcome back to the show. 
Hello. Thanks for having me back. So we begin with the Fed's decision, Mr Yu, and let's get straight into it. What factors led to the Fed's latest rate decision, do you think, and what were your initial thoughts on it? Well, obviously it is related to the inflationary number. Um, the Fed has been quite late in terms of raising interest rate uh, about two years ago. So uh, obviously they need to see the inflation number uh, settling down to below 2% before they actually start the uh, rate cuts. Uh, so right now you're looking at the CPI number going up by around 3.3%. So it's well above 2%. And that's why I think that they have decided not to uh, lower interest rate at the current point in time. However, though, uh, they have said that they don't need to raise any further interest rate uh, in the future. Uh, And also they are talking about rate cut, uh, which will happen sometime this year. It's just a question mark is the when to happen. Uh, The factors that we're looking at is the productivity level and the cost of the uh, unemployment rate. Uh, We think that all this seems to indicate that uh, eventually we will see rate cut. Uh, rate uh, uh, cut uh, sometime soon. Right, so although the inflationary numbers are perhaps not as close to 2% as the Fed would have wanted, uh, still they have been trending down and therefore there had been hopes from some watchers that the Fed would at least give some indication on when they would start cutting rates. And while the Fed Chair Jerome Powell said that rate cuts will begin at an appropriate time this year, he stressed that March was unlikely and gave no further hints of when that might come. So, Mr Yu, what... Factors. What further factors do you think will uh, lead to the Fed to re- start re- cutting rates, or at least signalling that they're going to cut rates? Well, I think that the numbers that we are looking at are quite positive, that they can cut it immediately if uh, they decided to. It's just that uh, they were blamed quite significantly by the market uh, that uh, they were too late in terms of the raising interest rate. So inflations were hiking very uh, quickly, and uh, they start to raise interest rate too late. Uh, so therefore, I think that they don't want to get blame again. So they need to see the numbers actually coming down to below 2%. Uh, but I think that if they wait that long, that's kind of a bit of a uh, policy mistake. Uh, we think that the already the core inflation numbers are well below 2% already. And the level of the um, the inflation deflator, uh, if we look at uh, the PC deflator, uh, it is already down to 2% in a two consecutive semesters, uh, uh, quarters. Uh, so uh, we think that uh, if the first quarter numbers coming in below 2% again, uh, then they have uh, reasons to cut uh, interest rates. So in my view, uh, they will be cutting probably starting uh, May of this year, not uh, in March, uh, as they have said, but most likely that they will start to cut interest rate in May. Uh, I think that uh, you need to check the numbers, particularly in regards to the um, the residential uh, uh, numbers. Uh, so uh, if you look at the, uh, the housing prices, it is falling quite sharply and the rent index is going down quite sharply. It is a lagging indicator. Uh, that number needs to come down in terms of the housing costs. Uh, I think that that number will come down, though it's just, uh, delaying uh, because it's uh, the, the least, uh, the most uh, lagging indicator. So we will see. But uh, I think that we do expect that numbers to uh, come through and that they will cut interest rate in May. 
Right, so we could perhaps expect an interest rate cut in Q2 in May, but I guess we'll see what the Fed says uh, in March first. Uh, meanwhile, for South Korea, Wednesday's decision maintains, therefore, the two percentage point gap between the Fed's rate and that of the Bank of Korea. Uh, this comes after the Bank of Korea kept the key interest rate steady last month at 3.5% for the eighth consecutive time. Uh, where does this now leave the BOK? What's your outlook on the BOK's rate decisions in the coming months as well? Well, obviously, if the Fed doesn't cut interest rate, then uh, BOK cannot cut interest rate, uh, given the differential is 200 basis points. So I think that um, after uh, Fed starts to cut interest rate, uh, I think the BOK will wait and see how much cut will come through this year. So I don't expect the BOK can cut interest rate anytime soon. Uh, It will be much uh, slower than what uh, U.S. Fed does. Uh, Also, if you look at the consumer debt level as well as the the problems that we are faced with in terms of housing market, uh, we need to keep the interest rate fairly high in order to do consolidation and restructuring. So uh, I think that uh, we're not going to see any kind of that BOK rate cut uh, sometime in first half of this year or probably not even in the second half. Uh, If we do see it, it might happen probably towards the end of the year. Wow, so it might not be until the end of the year or perhaps more likely early next year, you're saying then? Yes. Okay. well, at least for now uh, as well, the the rate gap between the US and South Korea isn't widening as what we might have feared uh, towards the end of last year, right? That's right. I mean, as as I said... Uh, interest rate hike is not happening since the uh, July of last year, and they will be cutting interest rate. Uh, so the gap of 2% will be narrowing, uh, but still it is a quite large gap. So mm. we will ha- have to wait and see. And also if you look at the consumer debt level and the private sector debt level of Korea, mm. it's significantly higher than U.S. So obviously keeping an interest rate at a much lower number is a quite a bit of a problem for the currency. So. Uh, I think that they will not able to lower interest rate anytime soon. Okay, so no relief yet for those looking for cuts in Korea, it seems. Uh, let's continue on to our other main topic for today. South Korea's finance minister, Tae Sang-mok, said on Thursday that the government plans to announce measures this month to resolve the so-called Korea discount. This is the phenomenon referring to the perceived undervaluation of South Korean stocks. For our listeners, first, Mr. Yu, can you tell us what is causing this phenomenon? Well, it's quite uh, obvious that we are having a very bad reputation uh, by the foreign investors. Uh, If you look at uh, regulatory environment, uh, too many regulations happening, obviously stop short selling, uh, that was one factor. Uh, but that's not the really main factor that is affecting the market. It is the uh, corporate, uh, the dividend payout ratios. Uh, if you look at the payout ratio of Korea, it's only 17%. Uh, actually, it is lower than China, uh, the socialist regime. Uh, and also, if you look at stock buyback and cancellation, it's like non-existent. So I think that we are probably uh, the worst of, in terms of paying back the shareholders uh, so therefore, we have a huge discount played out. Also, not just that, uh, we have seen many corporations, the Chebels, 
uh, splitting companies uh, and benefiting the major shareholders rather than the overall uh, shareholders. So there is a corporate governance issues. Uh, so those are the two major factors affects the valuations to be cheap. Uh, that's why uh, we are seeing the valuation uh, far below the book value level in terms of the price to book. Um, I think that uh, government coming out with this kind of measure is a, definitely something needed. But whether or not that actually will happen in terms of improving the uh, payout ratios or the uh, corporate governance issues, we'll have to wait and see. Right. Uh, before we get to the government's measures, how did it get to this point, Mr. Yu? Uh, why has uh, there been this environment in Korea where uh, dividend payout ratios have been so low? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I guess, obviously, uh, the Korean chebels or the Korean corporations, uh, I guess they were saying that uh, uh, the tax rate on inheritance tax rates are way too high. So uh, you cannot keep the companies uh, uh, to the next generations. Uh, so that's why they kind of come out with different measures to uh, split the companies or trying to uh, raise up uh, other companies. So obviously the shareholders' values are not kept the right way. So uh, I think that uh, Korean companies have given a very bad examples to any foreign investors. So this has been happening in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, obviously, uh, Korea discount, it was something that needed to be disappeared, but obviously the, the problems were actually accumulating. Uh, so we've been talking about the Korea discount to uh, disappear over the last 15 years, and I've said that this is not happening. Uh, and obviously, if this uh, government measures are coming through and actually it starts, that is uh, very positive news. And that's why market is reacting quite significantly. But that's something that we have to wait and see. Right. So the finance minister said that the government will increase the attractiveness of the local stock market by improving poor shareholder returns and weak governance structures. He added that the details of the proposed value up program will be announced this month. Can you briefly walk us through what we know about the gist of this program? Well, they're saying that uh, this program will be uh, basically increase the payout ratios and also uh, share purchase uh, uh, amount, so stock buyback, uh, which is the what U.S. company uh, uh, companies do. If you look at the U.S. companies, uh, they pretty much uh, buy back and cancel about 57 percent of stocks uh, uh, in terms of the profit numbers. Uh, so if they generate, say, 100, then uh, you, about uh, 57% uh, is buyback cancellation. So, and also they do pay in cash of 40%. So in terms of buyback and cancellation, plus all the shareholders' return is almost uh, 97%. So that's why the valuation is much higher. Uh, whereas Korea, as I said, um, the payout ratio is only 17%. It is 1% of stock buyback. But it's not actually cancelled. Uh, they just keep it. And then they sell it into the market. So obviously there's no reason for the valuations to go up. Um, so a government will come up with a program uh, to increase the dividend payout ratios and share a repurchase amount. But we don't see any details of how they're going to do it. If the government uh, you know, forced them to do it, they might do it. But if they don't decide to do it, then it's not going to happen. So it's a, it's a corporation's uh, uh, how they play this out. Mm. Uh, they also say that uh, in, they will come out with an index, uh, which 
uh, high shareholders return companies will be uh, included into this index. So then people will invest into this index, and then that will create a better market. But, you know, uh, obviously the company has to do it. <laughs> and we haven't seen any companies that are doing that kind of payout ratios, cancellations, uh, stock purchases and cancellations. Uh, so this is something that is in, will be expected to introduce, but I have very high doubts whether this will actually happen in a significant scale. Hopefully we'll see that happen. If that does, then we will see a significant uh, disappearance of Korea discount. Okay, so you say you hopefully uh, would like to see this happen, but then what more efforts do you think needs to be made to uh, boost local stock valuations then? Well, obviously, this is all uh, depends on the, the major shareholders' intent, right? If the major shareholders, the Chebo owners, uh, they think that uh, they can pay back to the other shareholders in terms of the value, uh, then, uh, yes, the uh, upgrade will happen. But if they think that, you know, paying out the dividend uh, and paying out uh, stock buyback cancellation results into their ownership going down uh, and obviously, you know, paying high taxes, uh, this is not going to happen, even the government has forced them to do. So I don't know. Uh, you're going to change their mentalities? I think that the only way to do it is, is actually lower the tax rate. Right. And in the meantime, I guess it'll be the devil's in the details for the government measures uh, that uh, will come up in the coming weeks. We'll watch out for that. In the meantime, that's where we wrap it up for our weekly economy review today uh, with Daniel Yu from Uanta Securities. Mr. Yu, we very much appreciate your time and your analysis today. Thank you very much. Come now to Movie Spotlight, our Friday feature where our film critics give their recommendations on what new films to watch this weekend here in Korea, whether at the movie theatre or at home. So without further ado, let's bring them in now. First, we have Jason Bechevace to my right. Jason, hello. It's good to see you. Uh, hey, hey, Jang. It's great to be back here after... Uh... Of respite, yeah, yes. away from the studio. It's great to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you didn't want to be here. No, I've got, I wanted to be here. Actually, I, I was uh, I was really keen to get back here and talk about movies. Sure, we and are. And to see you, Jango, and, and of course, well, you thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are glad to have you back. And to my left, we have Darcy Paquette with us this week as well. Darcy, hello to you too. Hi, good to be here. Okay, this week we've got two local releases, and we start with your recommendation this week yeah. jason it's actually a streaming release it is the netflix dystopian film badland hunters the korean title is hwangya which means uh, the wilderness or i guess badlands uh, it stars madong sok also known as don lee jason can you tell us more about this film it's connected to the disaster survival film concrete utopia that was released last summer right well, yes and no uh, is the answer to that question. Um, and uh, I've been following uh, this this kind of uh, these movies is also a series because uh, I wrote a chapter on the studios and and this this uh, these films were financed and produced by uh, Lotte uh, Culture Works. And so yeah, there's Concrete Utopia uh, that was released uh, in the summer. It was quite well received. It didn't perform as well as uh, I think people expected it to within 
uh, within the studio. But uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite films from last year. Uh, but I think that spooked some of the <laughs> the investors behind it. What I I would say is is a kind of spin off, I suppose. Um, uh, basically, what happened was when this film was was announced, it was actually because I remember reading the articles, it was uh, it was described as a sequel. Um, but uh, the directors had to kind of <laughs> navigate his way through these presses because I think there are some legal issues because it's now, of course, on Netflix. And Netflix, when they buy a film, you know, they want the copyright and all the rest of it. So it, it, it can't be a sequel is what I assume. Uh, but uh, yeah, so basically this movie is directed by Hong Yong-hwan. Uh, he is an art director uh, he's worked on films such as Peninsula, and you can see the you know the similar kind mm-hmm. of aesthetic uh, from that film. Also, the Roundup Three, uh, and also he's directing. I didn't know this. He's directing the the next Roundup film, Punishment. Now, this is, these are the movies, of course, starring Madeleine Sock. Mm. It's going to Berlin, and it's going to Berlin. So yeah. that's encouraging. <laughs> I, I don't think they would have. Uh, program to turkey because uh, you know i think the, the general consensus was the you know the third film of the series was a disappointment mm. um so yeah i think there's a connection there of course to madong socks so uh, this this film uh, stars and is produced uh, by madong sock and basically yeah i mean in, in a way it feels very similar to uh, concrete utopia begins uh, as this earthquake completely decimates soul uh, and much of the film kind of feels like uh, much of the film is set in this apartment complex uh, akin to uh, Concrete Utopia and uh, is actually shot in the same place so they're able to actually keep the budget down or so I heard mm. uh, but the, the, it's also somewhat different it focuses on a group of hunters led by Madong Sok's Namsan that's his character's name who protects a small community from thugs and these kind of mutant creatures um, after this, after basically soul, soul turns into this kind of dystopian landscape. And we have a young woman who is lured into an, a complex, uh, an apartment complex. She's played by uh, No Jong-Wi. Uh, and where, uh, you know, this, this doctor is conducting, you know, these awful experiments, uh, turning humans into mutants. You know, all this kind of stuff we've seen before, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he basically he's trying to keep his, his daughter alive, who's kind of... A heart is still beating uh, in his lab. It's right. kind of freaky. Um, so this is the doctor. This is a doctor. Okay. We're doctor's daughter. Yeah, but yeah. Sure. So so that, the plot itself very simple, um, and uh, yeah, it was uh, launched on Netflix what last week, and it's doing pretty well on that. Okay, so it was meant to be a sequel to Concrete Utopia, or at least a spin-off, but it's no Some, longer something. something yeah, officially connected. <laughs> it's off somewhat. <laughs> instead of being released in theaters, it's uh, being released online. Instead of uh, being just a simple post-apocalyptic survival movie, there are horror elements as well now with zombies and mutants. It sounds like so. It's yeah. an interesting scenario. Then, Jason, uh, what do you think of it? Uh, and is it as good as Concrete Utopia? You said you uh, liked it. Uh, yeah, it's not as good as Concrete Utopia. And actually, you know, if, if I'm really honest, or if I am honest, uh, you know, they have the two movies that we're talking about today. I, I think Darcy's film is a better, Darcy's recommendation is, is better. That being said, though, I do, you know, I've, I've taught uh, classes on kind of Korean dystopia. So I found this film quite fascinating. Uh, clear, I mean, it's very derivative in a sense, but there, you know, there's references to lots of Korean films that have preceded it. There's, there's a blatant reference or nod to the host at the beginning. Uh, clear connections to Snowpiercer, you know, Korea's first, you know, first kind of successful global project, you know, and the apartment complex, which is, 
Uh, an interesting setting for a number of Korean films, of course, Bong Joon-ho's Barking Dogs Never Bite, Happy End, films like Hide and Seek, uh, Hashtag Alive, and of course, Conquer Utopia. And we've got Madong Sok's kind of killer punch. You know, that, that's his persona now, right? That's that's where he, <laughs> he he finds success, you know, of course, in the Roundup films, but here as well. He literally just, just punches, you know, all, all these thugs uh, and they just literally get knocked out or die. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you know, and it comes at an interesting time for the industry because you've got films that, you know, were destined for theatres that are now being released online or films that didn't do well on in theatres and, you know, two months later they find themselves, you know, on, on streaming platforms. So, which, you know, is great for, you know, international viewers because they get to see a lot of Korean content there's so much out there, but what does it mean for, you know, mm. the Korean theatrical landscape? So, uh, which feels somewhat dystopian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, just as someone who's obsessed with Korean films, uh, I found this quite interesting. Sure. But I can see how people just find it, you know, I don't know, too violent. I mean, the the, the, the netizens, well, the netizen score that I saw was pretty low. Okay, And so I could see, I could see why in theatres this would completely bomb. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's it's not a film that I would, yeah, that's yeah, particularly accessible, I think, mm. to the mainstream, put it that way. Mm. Uh, but for a streaming service like Netflix, I can see why they, they got a hold of it. Because, of course, they've, they've financed so much right, Netflix yeah. content. And the film has been doing well, I understand. It's uh, topped the global Netflix chart for non-English language films. So it does seem to be appealing to international viewers. Darcy, what did you think? Did you catch it? Jason, I, I guess, has... Uh, had a lukewarm reaction uh, to the film? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's a hard... This kind of film is sort of hard to review in some ways because, you know, in one sense, you know, all the parts fit together and, you know, they they produce it at a, at a decent quality and everything else. Uh, but it does, uh, you know, it does feel very familiar. <laughs> There's not a lot that you haven't seen in other Korean films already. And so it's sort of like, you know, taking the stuff that you liked from other films and, and putting them together, yeah, like yeah. adding Madong Sok. And, um, you know, it. so, so yeah, I mean, it felt very familiar. It's the kind of film that I think, you know, after a month or two, you're going to kind of forget that you saw it or yeah. it's, it's going to swim in your memory with all the other stuff that you've seen. Mm. Um, I mean, as you're watching it from moment to moment, it keeps your attention, you know, it's, you know, and it's decently executed. Um, but yeah, it's it's a hard film for me to get excited about, I guess. Right. I guess it's disappointing as well, especially considering that Concrete Utopia felt far more original as well. Yeah, I mean, Concrete Utopia was, um, it was really unusual. And so right, just yeah. the very idea of a spin-off of that, unless okay. you have the same people involved, it's it's going to feel like something very different. When I was talking about Concrete Utopia on the show, I mentioned how actually it seemed to be influenced by the kind of the street, the content of on streaming platforms and so in a sense i guess it's full it's, circle it's full circle it's not ironic that the sequel you know whatever it is okay. you know finds its way onto uh, netflix okay so that was badland hunters let's continue on now to our second film uh one that jason is perhaps more excited about yeah. this is darcy's <laughs> recommendation though it is a new comedy drama starring lamidan it's called citizen of a kind or shimin Daki in korean which translates to citizen Daki. and darcy understand that it's a film that's based on a true story it is and um you know, I mean, as with all cases where you take a true story and then you adapt it into a, a feature film, the, you know, they tweak it here and there to make it more dramatic. But uh, despite that, it is quite a surprising true story. <laughs> so basically, it's 
Uh, it's based on this incident from 2016 in which, um, you know, a woman lost over 30 million won in a voice phishing scheme. And certainly, uh, you know, that kind of thing is not unique. And, you know, in the film we see that, uh, you know, this is affecting a lot of different people. But, you know, she was really struggling financially even before this incident took place. And so she finds herself really kind of with her back against the wall. And then uh, and then suddenly, you know, this guy who ripped her off calls her back. And, you know, she's furious. And she, um, But the man kind of begs her to listen. And he says, you know, he wants to give her some information that will help the police to come and shut this place down. He says, you know, I'm here against my will. Uh, if I give you this information, you know, can you forward it to the police? Can you arrange, you know, and somehow... In a way, he's kind of asking her to save him. And, you know, of course, she's not really sure whether to believe him or not or what the, the issue is. But, you know, she starts to follow this this clue that he gives her and that leads her eventually to China because, uh, you know, this operation is based in China, even though it's overseen by this kind of Korean gang. And, you know, the film, as we watch it, we go back and forth between her perspective Um and there's also this Korean man who's uh, been abducted in China and who's kind of forced to work for this thing. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it, it's a good setup. It pulls you in quite quickly. Right. Just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe it's based on a real life incident. Yeah. I mean, it is. Uh, it does give you a lot of respect for the, the people involved because they were taking real serious risks right. in kind of chasing this down on both sides, you know, both on her part and on the part of this person kind of feeding her the, these tips. So it's quite a gripping setup. What do you think of the film then, Darcy? This is also meant to be a comedy as well, though, right? Well, it's funny because, I mean, the lead actor is Lamiran, and she is known very much as a comic actor. And so before I knew anything about the film, all I knew was kind of like the, the title and the, the main cast, and I just assumed it was a comedy because Lamiran is always kind of you know, headlining comedies. Uh, but I think this is a really good example of how, you know, actors who are good at comedy can really do other kinds of acting quite well. Mm. It's just that people rarely give them the chance. And of course, you know, Song Kang-ho used to be typecast as a comic actor. And, you know, it took somebody with some imagination to put him into a role like JSA. Um, yeah, and she's really, really good. Uh, you know, she clearly has enough acting skills to carry this film and to really pull you into it. Um, but the whole cast is really good. I mean, Kong Myung is quite good as her counterpart. Uh, but then there are all these other actors who, you know, play these various roles within the story. We have, you know, Yeom Hiran, who's just an incredible actress, uh, Jang Yoon-ju, Park Byung-un. Um, so, yeah, it's really well done. And then the director um, does seem to be quite talented. You know, this is her second film. She uh, previously debuted with an independent film called Second Life. Uh, Sunny Wasugi, which screened at Biff, uh, went to a bunch of international film festivals. And then she also made a short film earlier in her career, which screened at Cannes. Uh, so, yeah, it's exciting to see such a well made film from a, a director who's still kind of establishing herself. And um, yeah, yeah, I was just, it was much better than I really had any reason to expect. Indeed. Uh, I saw the trailer as well, and uh, perhaps uh, I was expecting something different, mm. but it sounds like it is uh, quite a uh, interesting work. Jason, you said you liked it as well. Yeah, no, it's just a lot of fun. Um, it's part of a kind of growing body work, uh, focusing on, you know, voice fishing. We saw voice 
a couple of years ago there was there was unlocked as well the netflix film and so this is a real problem so i don't answer <laughs> phone calls from numbers i don't know um like many of us in korea yeah really, exactly nowadays, yeah. It's, it's, it's very familiar um but yeah as darcy mentioned it's, it's really engrossing great leading performance um and uh, yeah it's really well made it's really well shot in, in china as well um, and I think I, what I liked about it as well, it just focuses on these, on this particular female character and you have these kind of this team of, you know, these Ajumas, these are, and, and they, they are just adorable. They really are adorable. And uh, you're rooting for them until, you know, the end. And there's this great climatic sequence, which kind of evokes the outlaws in a weird kind of way. Mm. Um, and the way she, she faces the, the, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the antagonist at the end, uh, it, it's just really, um, yeah, it's just, it's just really cathartic. I think is the word I'm looking for. Um, and, um, yeah, it's it's a really engaging film. It's lots of fun. It's dealing with a you know an issue that is clearly quite disturbing. Um, but it, it's I, I, it's by far the best of the you know the voice fishing films that I've seen, and uh, you know it's doing pretty well in theaters and rightly so. And uh, it was also rem- reminiscent of uh, is it Miss and Mrs. Cops? Uh, you know, oh yeah, uh, where I mean, plays plays a cop in that film, and the mm. cops here are just useless. <laughs> you know, they, they, like a lot of mor- like, uh, like so, cops, yeah. <laughs> moral support. <laughs> I mean, they come round, but if it, if it takes them a while. <laughs> Well, it sounds fantastic. Uh, so once again, it's called Citizen of a Kind. It's out now here in theatres in Korea. That's where we're going to leave it. Jason Darcy, thank you for your reviews as always. And we'll catch you next time. Yeah, take care. Yeah, see you next time. Before we wrap up, we have a quick request for our listeners. We'd like to hear from you. We're looking for your feedback on our broadcast and others on KBS World Radio in order to continually improve our service. It's very simple and will only take a couple of minutes. Head over to world.kbs.co.kr and find the link to our reception report form right at the bottom of the page. Fill it out and let us know how we're doing. We appreciate any and all feedback. And that's all from us here on Crow 24 for another week. Join us again on Monday when we will continue to bring you the latest updates analysis of key issues from Korea. Till then, we hope you have a great weekend. I've been your host, Kwon Jang-ho, and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye.